We have titled today's teaching, Those Who Wait on the Lord. And I would say those who wait on the Lord need to remember. We need to be able to call up and remember God's faithfulness. Because, well, inherently we can be forgetful. I will tell you this, when it comes to forgetfulness, in the Folkers family, there is a pretty even divide. There is a camp of those who don't forget and they're wonderful people, and I love them. And, you know, Josh and Ethan and Erica, great granular memories. They remember everything. It's, it's crazy. Sometimes I'm like, is it crowded in there? Because Bella and I, Bella and I are defined by one phrase. This is, this is literally like, oh, my goodness. Bella and I do this all the time. Oh, that's right. Like, and when Bella does it, I'm like, it's my girl. Right? It's, it's my daughter. I know that. Like that, that whole, like, oh, that's right. I was going to get keys to drive. Or, oh, that's right. You told me to do this. You know, you see him and you're like, hey, weren't you going to? Oh, that's right. I do this all the time. And so does she. And it's really, I mean, honestly, I think we're lovely, very fun people, Bella and I. But man, we are forgetful. We are forgetful, the pair of us. And it's a lot of fun being around us. I think we have a lot of fun. We're bubbly and happy-go-lucky people. But the reality is we're a little bit for, forgetful. And if you know me, you've seen me be like, oh, yeah, that's right. I was going to, you know, do this. I was going to pick up the children or, you know, turn the oven off. I'm just, I'm, I'm a shocking individual. And my daughter, just the same. I love you, boo, because you're just like me in that. And it's a lot of fun. But here's the thing. When we stop today and we dig into the word of God, what we want to do is we want to look at the prophet Isaiah. We want to finish this series on waiting, looking at the prophet Isaiah and understanding who he is and what he said about being mindful of God in seasons of waiting. The prophet Isaiah was, um, he was a voice of God. He spoke to the people of God in Israel during the reign of King Hezekiah and King Manasseh. If you rewind to last summer and you remember our, our series on the kings and how evil and how wicked many of them were, you can realize like Isaiah was speaking into a dark place into the kingdom and half the first two thirds of the book of Isaiah are really about the judgment of God coming on a sinful and evil nation who has really walked away from God. And then the last third of the book of Isaiah is really about the restoration, and it's full of messianic promises. The Messiah, Jesus Christ, it's prophecies about Jesus that will come true. It's a phenomenal book. Isaiah was a faithful mouthpiece of God, and sometimes he does for us he did for Israel what he still does in our lives. He reminds us that sometimes we need to remember and have an, oh, that's right, moment when it comes to God's faithfulness. We need to remember the word of God and we need to hold fast to it and go, oh, that's right. That behavior in my life doesn't belong because of who you are, God, or what you've called me to. So I'm going to invite you today to join me. Isaiah chapter 40. Now when we read today, the translation may read a little funny in your ears, especially if you've grown up in and around the church, you know, the King James or the New King James or the New International Version, which is one we teach out of most often here at the Foundry. Today, what we're going to teach out of is the message, transliteration. It's done by Eugene Peterson. 
more conversational tone. It pays close attention to the Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic in the text. But here's the thing. It, um, it, it transliterates it. It reads a little more fluidly, and it's really good. It has a good cultural tone to it. So as we read today, we're reading Isaiah chapter 40, and we're going to look at verse 27. Why would you ever complain, O Jacob? Or whine, Israel, saying, God has lost track of me. He doesn't care what happens to me? Like, think about that. Think of the implication. Why would you ever complain, O Jacob, or whine Israel, saying this, that God has lost track of me and he doesn't care about what happens to me? Why would you say that? Because God hasn't forgotten you. The prophet Isaiah is saying, God hasn't forgotten you. You haven't been forgotten. Why would you even say such things? Why would you use such words about God? I think the better thing is, is asking it back at us. Have you forgotten who God is? Have you forgotten who he is? And maybe you need to be, maybe I need to be reminded of who God is. Like a teenager needs to be reminded that they're not king in the home, right? Sometimes when you have a teenager, what you get is somebody who's reaching an age of independence and they begin to push back on rules and you're like, yeah, that's a great idea, but it's not how it goes today because this isn't your house. I mean, How many teens are at home right now just like, this is the worst sermon ever. I do not like it, right? Because sometimes you need to be reminded of your place. Well, sometimes we need to be reminded, oftentimes we need an aha moment to be reminded that it's not God who forgot us, it's quite often us who forgot him. Sometimes in the despair we feel feel and experience in times of grief or waiting, We can forget who God is, but God never, never has forgotten us. God has never moved on for us. God doesn't forget. If you look at Psalm 102, you can see the words of King David, and he's writing out this this psalm, this prayer, and he's basically saying, look, I am like the grass. I wither up and dry. I'm like a flower. I'm there one day, dried up and dead the next. I'm like the shadows at night, shadows in the evening. They get long, but they go away quickly, right? And when we see this, we can see in Psalm 102, David saying, look how temporary I am. But then he goes on to say this, but you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. What is he saying is he's juxtaposing how temporary he is with how eternal God is. He's enthroned forever. So it's not God who's forgotten us. It's us who have often forgotten God. And we must remember who he he is and have that, oh, that's right, moment where we remember who he is. We tune our ears and our hearts back into his identity and get ourselves out of the center focus and the center frame. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 28 says this. Do you not know anything? Haven't you been listening? It's, I, I, I love this scripture in the NIV. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Like it's, it's just impacting scripture and this is it. And this is how it's transliterated. Don't you know anything? Haven't you been listening? God doesn't come and go. God lasts. He's 
the creator of all you can see or imagine. He doesn't get tired out. He doesn't pause to catch his breath. And he knows everything inside and out, telling us this, God doesn't forget. God doesn't forget when we look and see that God has no aha moments. You know, God's never been like, whoa, didn't see that coming. That's not in God's character. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. So we can look at this and take great comfort in the fact that God doesn't forget. And his promises to us hold sure and steadfast. We cannot describe an infinite God well with our finite minds. Remember, like David said, we are like the grass. We come and go in a generation. But God is everlasting. So it's hard for our fixed minds, our finite, not fixed, our finite minds to grasp and understand an infinite and eternal God. It's hard to get a grip on that. But the reality of this is that we have to use the words, the language we have as best we can. Like David said, you, O God, are enthroned forever. He says that right after saying how temporary he is. He's trying to show the great chasm of God's greatness and eternality versus our temporariness. When we look at this and realize that we can't describe an infinite God with our finite minds, we realize the importance of God's greatness because his promises aren't limited by our forgetfulness, limited by our circumstances, limited by our ability to believe or not believe. God's promises hold sure and steadfast. And here it points out the problem with every other religion there is, is that their gods are described and limited to human traits. Human traits and behaviors. Here's the thing. We don't see an impulsive, emotionally er erratic God. You know, we don't see a a God in Scripture who's like, I don't really know, or really impulsive to do one thing and then walking away to do the next. We see a God who defines himself, yes, in some human traits so we can understand him, but he's always far above what we can conceive. In other religions throughout the world, throughout the world, he is described, God, their gods are described with human traits and frailties. Remember Elijah, if you don't remember Elijah, Elijah, a prophet of God, is on Mount Carmel having um, a bit of a, of a God showdown with the prophets of Baal. And the prophets of Baal have been doing their thing, trying to get Baal's attention. And Elijah's watching them, and he starts heckling them. Love Elijah for this so much. He's like, hey, um, maybe, maybe your God's taking a nap. Maybe he's sleeping. You know, maybe he's a little tired. This makes him mad. And he's like, oh, you know what? Maybe he went on a trip, and he's out of town. And they're like, oh, and then he, like, it's still one of my favorite parts, probably because I'm an inner nine-year-old, but he's like, oh, maybe he's in the bathroom. <gasps> and they just get so mad. But he points out and says, like, here's the frailties of your God. Maybe your God is just like you, is what he's saying. And by opposite comparison, Elijah says, because my God is the almighty creator of all things. Think of the Roman pantheon or Greek mythology, Zeus and Apollo and all the interwars between all these gods and demigods and, and you know, you've got um, 
Achilles, the son of a god, he's a demigod living on earth, and all these little things, and they're described by their feudal wars, their blood rites, and their different things. And you look at it and you go, well, that just seems like us, but weirder. It seems like us just with more power to do damage. When we look at, um, even in Islam, you can look at Islam and see that you can be sent, according to their you know, theology, you can be sent to hell based on Allah's mood. Even if you did everything that was required, you could be sent to hell because he's in a bad mood. I mean, how human is that? What a finite understanding of who God is, is that. That is not our God. Our God doesn't succumb to human needs or weaknesses. He doesn't resort to human tactics. He doesn't come down and manipulate. He is God. He's outside of time. He's outside of space. He's outside of matter. He's independent of the laws that govern us. Though he set the laws in motion, he is God, and he's without sin, and he's without error, which I think is awesome. Because when you say God is without sin, he's holy. When he's without error, he's perfect. He's perfect. God hasn't erred. So in calling you and giving you purpose, he didn't make a mistake. You know, as you have waited, I think the question I would ask is, have you been listening? Have you been listening in this season of waiting? Have you been listening to the stories we told through this series, talking about real lives infected with the purpose and power of God for the glory of God and eventual glory of Jesus Christ and all coming to the gospel? Have you heard the stories of those who've gone before you that come straight out of Scripture? God hadn't forgotten Joseph in the cistern or Moses out in the desert. He hadn't forgotten Hannah in her barrenness or David or any of them. He had never forgotten. His heart was always on them and for them. He hasn't forgotten them, and he hasn't forgotten you. In your trouble, in your torment, in your struggles, in your success, in your blessings, he's never forgotten you. God has always had you in his eye with a plan and a purpose to glorify Jesus Christ through the life you live. So we can look at this and say with great confidence that his plans and his purposes stand firm in our human lives. He will bring it to pass. Have you been listening In this season when you waited, have you been listening to the stories, taking courage and comfort that in your current struggles, God is not indifferent, God is not distant, he's neither closer nor further based on your struggles and torment. He's right there all along in the good and the bad. But here's what we know. In Isaiah 40, verses 29 and 30, There's this great section that reminds us of the intimacy to which we are honored to walk with God. And it says this, he, God, energizes those who get tired. He gives fresh strength to dropouts. I like that language, right? Like he gives fresh strength to the dropouts. For even young people tire and drop out. Young folk in their prime stumble and fall. When you read that, And you realize that he gives that fresh strength 
To those who can't stand it, we realize that God sustains. To those who can't bear life any further and they're overwhelmed and they're just, they're carrying too much, God sustains. He sustains. He's kind. He's generous. But he also knows our frailties and our weaknesses. I was reading an article um, out of U.S. News, and it was talking about children. Because in that last scripture, it says, even young people tire and drop out. Even young folk in their prime stumble and fall. They did a study on kids between 9 and 11 versus um, highly active endurance athletes. So if you're wondering what that looks like, no, that's not it. All right, but they're looking at high endurance athletes as adults versus little kids. And what they found is children between 9 and 11 and probably younger, but this was a study, at this age, they actually, they don't, um, their muscles don't fatigue really that badly. They're made to just go, 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 go. Their muscle recovery is so fast, it's much quicker than the adults who are in amazing shape. Their muscles don't recover like kids do. Their, their, um, their pulmonary recovery, their, their lung recovery, their breath recovery is much shorter than, uh, than the adults who are in great shape. So when, when Isaiah says this, even young people tire and drop out. You can almost picture him watching little kids running and playing in the hot Mediterranean sun, whatever game they played back in that day, and, saying, and him looking at them thinking, if I did that for 10 minutes, I would permanently drop out. Like, looking at them and just seeing the boundless energy and joy. Like, I've watched kids, and they just, they'll just bounce for like 12 hours. You're like, like your little kangaroo, doesn't that hurt? And they're just like, I don't know, I'm having so much fun. It makes a sound in my head when I jump. Oh, my word. Like, and they'll just do that, and they'll just go and go and go. But even that tireless, boundless, seemingly boundless energy can break. And they can still, children, those little kids can reach their limits. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but if you've ever had a 9-year-old or an 11-year-old living in your house, you've seen them, they're like, wah, and they're going full bore, and all of a sudden it's like things start shutting down and they get overly tired and they can you know, get super emotional or super grumpy and, and crazy and, and they over-occupy themselves and overstimulate, and they kind of crash. And I don't know if you've ever seen a kid who like gets in a car after a long day at a theme park and they're like, this is great, I love it so and the lights go out, and you're like, oh, it's asleep. Like, they cashed out mid-sentence because their energy failed. Even those kids with such amazing natural recovery and growth and metabolism, they're aerobic and anaerobic. Just It's like they're on fire inside. They're amazing. Even they run out. But God is not bound by physiology, which I'm so thankful for because I don't have that anymore. I'm not 9 or 11 or 10. Like I wear out pretty quickly and I look at that and I think, okay, God, if that's the truth that even the youth wear out and stumble and fall, what about someone like me? Then there's Isaiah 40, 31. But those who wait upon the Lord get fresh strength. They spread their wings and soar like eagles. They run and they don't get tired. Can I just say something? Like I've set a goal and it's a terrifying goal, but I'm trying to run a distance race this fall, which 
<laughs> we'll talk about that at the hospital later. Um, but like the idea of running and not growing tired, man, I, I can't imagine it. I grow tired thinking about running right now. Like it's tough. They spread their wings and they soar like eagles. They run and they don't get tired. They walk and they don't lag behind. It tells us this, that if you're relying on your youthful vim and vigor and physiology and effort, you'll tire out and you'll break down. But those who wait upon the Lord should remember this, that God gives fresh strength for them to spread their, eagle, their wings and soar like eagles, to run and not grow tired, to walk and not lag behind. God gives fresh strength. By his spirit, he pours into us his strength, his power, his capacity. It says this in the expository Bible, and I don't normally just read something off when I'm teaching, but I think it's too good not to catch it word for word. To wait on God is, is not simply to mark time. So you're not like, okay, oh, I'm not wearing a watch. Like, you know, like it's not to just stare at a clock and be like, okay, well, 10 minutes have gone by. You're not sitting at a job marking time. To wait on God is not simply to mark time. Rather, it is to live in confident expectation of his action on our behalf, that God is going to have an action on our behalf that will make us soar like with wings like eagles, run and not grow weary, or walk and not lag behind, that God is going to do something, and in our waiting, we have a building expectation of God getting involved. And friends, I can tell you this, I have experienced this where I've waited and I'm like, I know God's doing something on my behalf. I don't know how to describe it. I just know it's there. I know it's coming. And my spirit inside of me almost kind of quivers with anticipation for what God's about to do. It's a refusal to run ahead of him trying to solve our problems ourselves. Thus, just as Isaiah called on the people of his own day to trust in God to solve their problems, he calls to the exiles in the age to come to do the same thing. When they were off in Babylon as captives, he said, trust in the Lord to act on their behalf. If they are worn out and weary, hardly daring to believe that there is any future for them, the God of all strength can give them exactly what they need at the right time, whether to soar Run or walk. That's from the expository Bible, and that is right on point. That is right on point. These abilities to soar, run, or walk are not in descending order. And we would think so, soar, run, walk. It's actually, as a dyslexic, this makes sense, it's the inverse. It's the inverse. So let's take a minute and look at these three things quickly. First, strength to soar like the eagle. That is your mountaintop moment where you are given the miraculous strength beyond all human capacity. We at the Foundry call it the miracle zone, to lean in and believe in something where if God doesn't get involved, if you're at the height of an eagle and you can't fly, you're about to be a greasy spot on the bottom of the mountains, like that's not gonna be good. Miracle zone, where we get up into the rare air of, of soaring, in those moments where we see God at work, powerful, risky, 
takes a lot, but it's also this beautiful moment. And I will tell you this, there's been so much time in our life as the Foundry Church that we have spent soaring in the miracle zone where there's people who've said, that's not possible, or you guys can't do that. You're not, you're not old enough to do that. No, don't do that. There's no way you could do that building. There's no way that you're gonna grow like that. There's no way that people are gonna want to come to a church you know, at this many venues or these many things. And, or on a Monday night, right? Where like, nobody goes to church on Monday. I beg to differ, right? Not because of us, but God allowed us the opportunity to soar with him. And it's been a wonderful experience. A wonderful experience. But it doesn't come in the everyday ordinary things. There was a time I was looking through an old journal where I had written down in March of 2004, or in May of 2014, the time where the Foundry Church could be an actual church plant has died. So weird to see that in my penmanship. And I was like, no, who wrote this? Like, what imposter? But what it was, was someone who couldn't see what God was about to do. It was beyond me. And God pulled me like a thermal up into this place where I got to soar and see God say, it's not dead. Maybe it wasn't your eyes, but it wasn't his. And I got to soar in that, and it was a wonderful thing. It's a lot of fun to soar. It's kind of God to give us moments of, of just like exaltation, not exaltation, like it's exultant. You're just like, wow, you're, you're overwhelmed. It takes your breath away. It's a lot of fun. And he gives you strength to soar, strength to do things you could have never done. Praise God that he gives us the opportunity, the invitation to soar with him at times. But he also gives us strength to run. And in strength to run, he allows us to keep pace. He gives us the strength to stay in step by step, maybe a little quickened, right in in pace with the race. And we keep up in the race we are called to run. Like the Apostle Paul said, you know, I have run my race. I have run my race. It's not easy, but I've run it. I've attained it. I've lived in faithful obedience to the point that I can say, I have run my race. I have finished it. It's the ability to go beyond what you thought was possible. Here's what I know. Ten years ago, and it looks like ten years ago, I ran the 25K at the Riverbank Run. That's the last distance run I did. And um, Erica and I talked when we got done with it. We'll never forget what it meant to have people standing alongside the roads with cowbells. You go, 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 like that. And they're like, go, go, go. And they're giving you Gatorade and orange slices. Would have gone for a hot dog. I'm not judging, but that would have been awesome or a brat. But um, they're encouraging you and they're challenging you and they're calling you forward. They're digging, they're helping you dig deep. They're saying, I see you running, I see you working, and we're here, we're for you. They're cheering you onwards. The ability and the strength to run. We as the church are called alongside one another to cheer each other on in the race we are called to run. Whether you're called to pastor or whether you're called to volunteer and serve in other ways, be a small group leader, uh, to host a group in your home, to, um, to, I don't know, maybe take a step forward and live into a role as a, as a member of staff or a missionary or just do the job you were called to do as an evangelist in your work, in your field of your career, whatever it was, it's the strength to run, to dig deep, 
for the glory of Jesus. And God gives us that strength. And here's the thing. You begin to enjoy the challenge. You find your pace. He gives you the strength to run and not just get through it, but to see all that's around you. That's a great place to be. Yeah, it's a grind, but it's a great grind. It's not as fun as soaring, but there is some sense of forward motion and accomplishment. And then we come to the intimate moment where it says that he will, um, he will help us walk and not fall behind. You know, I think my mind goes back to uh, images from my childhood watching uh, Mutual of Omaha's Animal Kingdom. Anybody? Nope. No? Everybody who's like my age is like, oh, yeah, and then Disney? Yeah, Mutual of Omaha, and they would show the great migrations on the Serengeti. And there would be these animals that are tired and dusty, and they're walking along, and one starts to fall behind. And who's waiting to devour them but some big yellow-eyed lion, right? And what we see in this is the strength to keep walking, not to fall behind and be devoured. God gives us the strength. This is the hardest part, but this is the most intimate part because this is what God called, Jesus called his disciples to. Come, follow me, walk with me. Eugene Peterson said it this way, I think in the book of Thessalonians, or I don't know. I can't quote, quote off the top of my head. I just remember when Jesus said, come, walk with me, get away with me, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. How do you learn that? But by walking. And God says, I'll give you strength to keep walking. No, it's not soaring. It's not exultant. No, it's not even a grind where you're doing something that feels really good and an accomplishment. It's the grind of the mundane, one foot in front of the other. This strength is the deepest and most significant of all, to do the little things with purpose, the little things. Moms, when you're folding that... um, Moms and dads, when you're folding those little tiny shirts and you're like, all they're going to do is eat and puke on it again, or all they're going to do is, you know, make a mess again, but you do those little things serving and loving, preparing meal after meal after meal, taking care of a home that will get messy again, going to work to get the to provide the finances for this life. All those little mundane things that you think don't matter, God gives you the strength to walk it out, one foot in front of the other. It's the deepest gift of all. He pours it into our core, into the very being of us, just to do the little acts of service to have the conversations at bedtime with a child, to be kind to a stranger who looks like, I don't know, maybe they just need someone to smile and say hi. It's the mundane little things where God pours into us and it's not as fancy as soaring. It's not as exciting or intention getting as the soaring or even the grinding out of a great running race. It is our most desperate need of one foot in front of the other, taking the next breath, believing that in your grief, in your heartache, in whatever's going on, God hasn't left you desolate, that he will give you strength to take the next step, and that next step is in obedience to the purpose and plan God has for you in Christ Jesus. God provides the ever-seeing, knowing, loving, and purpose-giving image of God is bestowed on us He looks down on us. It's the way we dismiss worship every week. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord cause his face 
to shine upon you and be gracious to you, that ever unbroken gaze of God who loves you on you, giving you the strength to soar at times, to run at times, but sometimes he just gives you enough to take the next step. But he never looks away. He never forgets. He never fails to sustain. He is God and he provides. The final part of that benediction is beautiful. The Lord lift up his face upon you and give you peace. Every week we dismiss at the foundry with this. Why? Because it's the image of a father who scoops up a child and looks at that child only. That's what it means. May the Lord scoop you up Look at you in the face where it's only you and God making eye contact and give you his peace. Because in those eyes, in that strong grip, picked up and held by God, whether you soar, run, or walk, you know that you are sustained, you are seen, you are purposed, and you are here for the glory of Jesus Christ by the will of God, for the glory of God. Wow, how great is that? Lord Jesus Christ, thank you. Thank you for the strength for so many in this church who have just been able to walk and take that next step. Thank you for the courage and the strength and the effort that they've put forward just to walk with you. Thank you for the opportunities many have had to run, the race set before them. And thank you for the moments where we soar. But Lord, may we always remember that behind those actions is a God who sustains, loves, and is transforming us into the image of the Lord and Savior, whom we confess, whom we claim, whom we preach, and whom we love. We pray this all in his name. Amen.